Okay, people, we have a loaded episode on Just for Sport. In this pod, I give props to the Athletics senior writer, Michael Lee, talking about the NBA playoffs, the all-NBA selections, HBCUs, Michael's Kansas City Chiefs, John Wall, and more. Plus, WTOP sports anchor Frank Hanrahan is back as we discuss who's got the best shot to hoist the trophy at this year's French Open. Ooh, wee wee. And it wouldn't be a show without Haley's comments. Our comments range from what doesn't sit right with the Big Ten playing football, why Kyler Murray may be keeping the Washington football team up at night, we uncover an NHL conspiracy, the Fresh Prince, Paris Hilton, the Naomi Osaka-Kobe connection to each other and Haley, and why Saturday Night Live will be must-watch TV this weekend. For the Props Network, this is Just for Sport in three, two, one. This is Just for Sport. Jamoke Davis here, and joining me, of course, first up, Haley Mylon Boer here with Haley's Comments. Good morning. How are you doing in hey, Japan? Jamoke. Konnichiwa. Good evening, and good morning to the Western <laughs> world. Where are we getting started this morning? This one, this one bugs me. It gets under my skin a little bit because I feel like it applies broadly to most major sports leagues. But there is um, a possible class action lawsuit about to hit the NHL and about a dozen other hockey leagues, Jamoke. So this player, um, his name is Kobe something. He's Kobe. He's like Manitoba or something. He's playing in the junior leagues up in Canada. And he's alleging that there is a conspiracy among all of these professional and amateur leagues to suppress the earning potential of amateur hockey players and to limit their careers and to elicit more control over the players before they even get to the big show, the NHL. Jamoke, the proposed settlement 825 million bucks. Now it hasn't reached class action status yet, but Jamoke, is this a bunch of junior players playing crybaby because they're getting preference with all of these NHL clubs, or is this a legitimate grievance? Okay, it's tough because I do get what he's saying. If you remember in the NFL for a while, like that number one pick, you know, you weren't getting the kind of – some players would say that a number one pick, the vets who were playing, would say, well, a number one pick shouldn't get all of this money because he hasn't done anything. And it's yeah. taking away the earning potential of the veterans because we're paying a player who hasn't even taken a snap in the NFL – all of the uh, taking up, you know, 30% of the salary cap. So I get what they're saying. However, however, I am going to side with the veterans here and the league and say, you got to play for a little bit before you can say that you deserve, you know, top-notch dollars. I mean, to this day, I mean, I don't know how many people know that Alice Ovechkin basically makes $10 million a year, which if you say that's a lot of money, okay, that is a lot of money to us, but that's a lot of, not a lot of money when you think about, you know, um, his counterpart with the Wizards, John Wall, making $40 million a year, and Alex Ovechkin is the best player in the National Hockey League. 
Send so, it. you know, so I feel you like, no, I'm sorry, Kobe. First of all, it's probably going to be tough for you to have that name <laughs> considering who we think of as Kobe Bryant. You know, so I think you need to just chill. $800 million is a lot of money for rookies to then say, my thing is when you get to the NHL, what about if you're not so much blackballed, but you're going to get hit a little bit more? Yeah. Just across the boards a little bit more because you were saying that you deserved more money and that like the veterans in the league are trying to suppress the young players from making that money. Yeah. I just don't think so. I think you should play on a rookie contract. And if, if you become one of the top players, then that next contract, you should get paid. And that's how it should work. The finances of the NHL are a mystery to me, Jaboke, because you're right. Ten million bucks for the premier player in the league is just almost laughable, right? It, um, it is. But of course, um, we lay people can't scoff at ten million bucks a year. Um, no, we can't. But man, man, you're right. You're right. There's a lot of leagues where you could say. If you really want to reach, you could say there's a conspiracy against the amateur players to elicit that control and to give all the power to the leagues financially. But um, this one's going to be interesting to follow. Um, and I've got a note that Canadian Junior Leagues um, filed a grievance and they are getting rewarded back pay to meet minimum wage. So they're getting themselves a couple million dollars divided amongst players in this league. So uh, I'm waiting for MLB, minor league baseball to, uh, to take note. <laughs> and, and my thing is like, it's not like we're saying you can't get paid, right? right? Everyone should get paid. I just think that maybe what the NHL needs to do is say, okay, let's come up with a better rookie pay scale. And mm -hmm. then I guess you, you know, I guess veteran would be next. And I don't know if to take a line from Josh Howard, when he came to the Wizards, he always used to joke, hey, Jim, okay, I'm a super vet. I'm past the 10 years. So maybe that's what it needs to be is you got your rookie scale, veteran scale, and then super vet scale. Oh, something 10 like that. years in any league, come on. Yeah. In MLB, you get your full pension. I mean, that's when you've made it and you can buy your house in the Bahamas and just <laughs> consider it a done deal. So you got what four four years? Justin's got four years. He's going to get back in the league or six years? Excuse me, because he played in the league for four years, right? He played for for six service times different though. So he's got okay. his, his half. He's halfway there. Okay, halfway um, there. So we're not buying the Bahamas house yet. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you know, if we take a deal here and there, maybe one day. <laughs> All right, let's go to the NFL. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. The Washington football team is facing Kyler Murray. Week two, Ron Rivera says he's got anxiety, and that's pretty fair. 26 of 40 last week in week one. He rushed 13 times, 230 passing yards. He threw one pick. Um, Ron Rivera rightly so has anxiety, but we saw what the Washington football team's defense – mouthful did to Carson Wentz he was sacked eight times nine times so um Rivera is looking for a way to uh to get to Murray to shake him up in the pocket but Murray creates opportunities for himself wherever he goes he's uh not sh not shy to run the ball um do you do you think Ron Rivera is losing sleep this week I think Ron Rivera 
isn't losing sleep. The Washington football team is 1-0 at the top of the NFC East. (laughs) The very, very top for week one. Week one. Enjoy it. Yeah. Hail to the Washington football team. Easy. But it's only week one. They're facing a tough quarterback in Kyler Murray. Let's think about the fact that Philly, in some ways, you would say lost the game. They were up 17 points. I don't know how they ended up losing that game. The best thing about that is at least there were no fans in the stadium, although I want fans in the stadium, because we didn't have the – and I'm saying we, because, yeah, I'm from D.C. I shouldn't say we always say we. There weren't a bunch of Philly fans in there cheering for the Eagles when (laughs) Washington was mounting a comeback. But now we have the Cardinals, who used to be in the NFC East, and they have DeAndre Hopkins on one side, Larry Fitzgerald on the other side, and Kyler Murray, who can run, throw. You can't even see him behind that offensive line, so there aren't going to be any sacks to be had, Haley. That's my prediction. It's going to be very, very difficult for Washington to get a win unless they can find a way to stop a running quarterback. So from that perspective, yeah, he might be losing sleep because Carson Wentz can go back from whence he came, which is Philadelphia, (laughs) and now we're bringing in Kyler Murray, who's a little scat back, running back slash quarterback in that same mold of Russell Wilson, uh in Baltimore uh and well actually let me go let me go back because we had a running quarterback uh in Washington before they went with um uh, forgetting his name with Minnesota I want to forget his name um uh I, I'm, I'm I lost my train of thought I'm totally forgetting who it is but in my mind I just think that Robert Griffin III this is what we wanted Robert Griffin III to be, to make it to year two healthy. And that's mm-hmm. what we're going to see in Kyler Murray, although he'll be in another uniform. Kyler Murray's playing Quidditch out there. Yeah, he's Kirk Cousins, that's who it is. He's playing Quidditch. He is. He, he's, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be exciting to watch him and see if Washington can get the same kind of pressure on a mobile quarterback versus a quarterback who stays in the pocket, mostly like Carson Wentz. All right, so NFL headed into week two. The Redskins have a tough matchup. Um, College football has yet to get its start, but the Big Ten announced plans to resume play or to begin play October 23rd. Jamoke, what's it going to take for this thing to go off without a hitch or to go off without – to go off at all, we'll say. Okay, so here's my thing. I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, so I am excited that the ACC is playing. University of Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh won their first game as well. I am really torn. I'm torn because I worry about the athletes. Um, I was looking at a bunch of tweets, and one that stood out for me was Jamel Hill saying, okay, we have all of these college athletes playing which means they have to take COVID tests. That Mm. costs a lot of money, up to $150 per test. And I'm sure there are different companies out there charging different prices and probably upcharging when you think about the Big Ten and professional sports playing. Are the students getting these same tests? Are you caring about the students the same way you're caring about 
the athletes. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, well, football pays for volleyball and some of these sports that aren't revenue generating. But let's start with people. Do you care about the people? And that's where I am saying, because I know football brings in money, but tuition brings in money too. And if you care about the people and you're going to tell me in the Big Ten, ACC, well, Pac-12 isn't playing, but in, in the conferences that are playing, that everyone is getting tested, that's the message I want to hear. Okay, you want to play football? Go play football. But I want to hear that you care about everyone and you're thinking about all students when you're saying, let's play football and not just saying, well, we only care if the athletes have it. Let's focus on them and the students, okay, whatever, go to the, the health center and whatever happens to you whatever is whatever happens. But I am excited. You've got a lot of players and coaches playing. Let's play football. I love Jim Harbaugh's tweet. It said, stay positive. Test negative. Let's play football. You can't beat that. That's awesome. Total hardball tweet right there. You're right. You got to think about the students and not just for their safety, but you got to think about um, the immaturity, we'll say, of uh, your average college student. I saw a video from, or was it LSU? There was a huge outdoor party. I won't even call it a tailgate because it looked like an absolute rave to yeah. And it's and like, come on, that's how this thing is going to spread. You know, you you pass your red solo cup to your friend and yep. gosh, it could rip right through a college campus. So, Coach um, Orgeron uh, was uh, talking about the other day that, yeah, a lot of several players have tested positive. Uh, we got to work it out. So <laughs> we'll see what happens when Big Ten plays. If we can get these, you know, players, coaching staff as well to follow the rules. We'll see. Title IX didn't have provisions for rapid virus tests. So, yeah. yeah. Had, they, yeah. had they had the foresight, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody, when you talk about, um, I don't know if you saw um, the viral video. Gosh, why am I forgetting everybody's name today? He's one of the funny comedians and he was playing like a millennial. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, shoot. Who was it? Yeah, it God. Wasn't and then at the end, right. And then at the end, he was just like, just wear a mask. That's yeah. all I need you to do is wear a mask. And, you know, I hope coaches and everybody else on the staff will actually wear a mask. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Some of them are getting stylish, so it's hard to it's hard to say no. Yeah. All right, let's go to the NBA. Okay. The are giving us a show. We are getting our money's worth. We know we're not going to get the battle of LA, but hey, maybe that's okay because the Nuggets have done something that no team in NBA history have done. They've come back from not one, but two, one, three deficits. Mm -hmm. okay. Elimination games, no problem. They've won six straight elimination games. Is this a team that needs to be in the pressure cooker in order to win? Yes. Um, I think they like having their backs against the wall. The key for this team that I think makes it, first of all, we don't necessarily think about, and I said it for two seasons, there is no doubt in my mind that Nikola Jokic, the Joker, is the best big man in the NBA for mm -hmm. his all-around game. 
his passing, his shooting. He can face up on the basket. He can shoot threes. He can bring the ball up if you want to. He doesn't have the flash of Joel Embiid. He's not Anthony Davis, who sometimes plays a center position. He's not Bam Adebayo, who is a, you know, could have, should have been the, uh, most improved player of the year. He's not Giannis, but to me, he's the best big man in the NBA and it's showing. Now you could say being down three, one, three is not good for a leader like that. And then in crunch time, you see him passing the ball and you wonder, well, you should have the ball in your hand. You should be the one shooting. I just think he's a calm, collected leader. And then you have Jamal Murray, who in the beginning of the Clippers series, kind of, I think he was, you know, not quite there yet. I think he was coming down from cloud nine, having scored 50, 42, 51 points, you know, against the Utah Jazz. And then he was playing the Clippers and he had to collect himself and find his game again. And he found it in game seven when he scored 40 points. And I think, the Lakers are going to have trouble if you've got a player who's not a superstar, who's not a superstar, but a budding uh, all-star in Jamal Murray. If he's going to be averaging 40 points a game, and then you got Nikola Jokic, who's averaging a triple-double at 25 points a game and 12 rebounds and 10 assists, and then you add the supporting cast with the uh, one of the Grant brothers, Jerry and Grant, uh, you know, I I just think that Michael Porter Jr., who no one want, thought he would be this player because of his injury, so he was picked late. He's a sleeper pick. And shout out to Tim Connolly, who is a protege of Ernie Grunfeld of the Wizards, who's a GM of the Nuggets, and has just built a great, great staff. You got a great head coach and Coach Malone. You got a great team. And I, I just love this team. I want them to win, but I know for the NBA ratings, they're like, no, no, no. We need to get them eliminated. It has to be LeBron and the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like we're going to have some uh, – would you say would you say long-term star power potential in Denver with Jokic and Jamal Murray? Yeah. Just I think young, young – just flashes of brilliance here. Do you think? Do you think it's a flash in the pan, or do you think this is like the franchise is it's set years to come? We have a powerhouse there. I think it's years to come. I also feel like the West is stacked. I think Phoenix is going to be really good next year. Utah is going to be really good. Denver is going to be really good. You talk about these young upstart teams, and I think the thing for Denver. Denver reminds me of the next San Antonio Spurs. You hmm. don't have superstars that shine, make a lot of noise, get on social media. They just win. And that's hmm. what I think you have in the Denver Nuggets. And we'll see if they can win, uh, you know, four games over the Lakers and get to the NBA Finals. Won't be good for ratings, but I'm sure for the Denver Nuggets, they're going to be like, hey, we're, we're there and that's all that matters. We can't focus on... Who thinks we're a good team that you want to watch us? Bottom line is the Denver Nuggets are a quality team. And if I'm the Los Angeles Lakers, I'm not sleeping on them like obviously uh, the Los Angeles Clippers did. And I lost my chance. You know what would be dope for ratings though, Jamoke? Yet another series coming back. Straight elimination games. And then True. 
finals. True, true. <laughs> or maybe it wouldn't. I don't know if I don't know if Denver has that kind of pull, but um, we know the LA market and all the LA faithful would stay glued to their TVs. Now, um, oh, I want to ask you about Paul Millsap. What have you seen from him? His transformation, more or less, over the past six games. I think he, you know, you have these veterans who come alive with young players. And the nucleus has to be right. Let's not act like, you know, a lot of times you're always looking for a veteran to make a difference, right? You and I yeah. were there, Paul Pierce with the Wizards, right? Yeah. I called Bank. Did you, how he uplifted the team. And yeah. it even made Paul Pierce feel like, I got young legs. Give me the ball. Let me show you what I can do. I mean, in the in the pivotal game, uh, I think game six with Utah, in that uh, third quarter where he just scored 20 points. It was just like, he's back, Paul Millsap. And I think that's what it does. You have he provides stability for the young players and telling them how to play, how to win. Because Paul Millsap hasn't been to the NBA Finals before, but – he is a player that I that I respect his game. And I think for a younger player, that's what you want. You want a player you can respect his game. And then also, if you need to lean on a player like Paul Smilsap, he can give you 12 points, 14 points here or there, go on a streak where he scores four straight baskets and he just kind of gets the team energized again. That's what you have in Paul Millsap. And then he's got to take a rest on the bench. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, he can give you a sprint. You know, I'll give you a sprint and then I got to pull back and let the young the young guns you know really carry it from there and i think that's what paul Millsap provides just like paul pierce did for yeah. the wizards back in the day yeah. a veteran presence can't be overstated the importance of that it, everything from yeah on the court but um in the locker room you need someone to show these young guys how exactly. to have relationships with their teammates how to yeah. stay in line um how to be there in the show handle the spotlight handle Handle the losses. All right. Um, here come the tears. Here come the tears. Naomi Osaka. Mm. Did you cry? I mean, she's been so vocal about Black Lives Matter. Um, she paid tribute to Kobe with her T-shirt after winning the U.S. Open. I mean, I told you, we talked about it last week. I went down that rabbit hole, got really emotional about her win last year. This year, you feel like you see her coming into her own and – you see, you see, that's Osaka. You know, she's not hiding behind Serena's shadow. Um, you know, she's becoming, she's becoming an adult. Um, I want to know what you thought about the tribute to Kobe, though. I thought the tribute was amazing. I was surprised to see her in the jersey every game after every yeah. win. Like that was pretty amazing. Um, and then you hear about the connection, how Kobe would text her, you know, give her encouragement, tell her to stay positive, talk about how, you know, you're a champion. Don't get down when you lose games. Don't get emotional. And let me tell you something. In that final, when Vika Azarenka was winning that first set and Osaka was slamming her racket and yelling and screaming, yeah. I can just envision her listening to Kobe Bryant and saying, calm down, take it easy, all right? It's one set, you can do this, you can win this. And I think that that's what was the beauty of what we were seeing is we're not just seeing Osaka win, 
we're seeing Kobe Bryant's effect on sports. It's not just the Lakers. It's not just the the NBA. It's not just the W. It's Paul Gasol giving his daughter Gianna as a middle name. Yeah. You know, just had a, a new baby girl in naming her Elizabeth Gianna Gasol. It's Naomi Osaka. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though the initials are EGG Egg. I was like, that's a tough one. But I just think that it's just amazing as we're learning more and more about Kobe Bryant's effect on sports and then entertainment. Like you think about, wait, they they text back and forth. I didn't know Kobe and, and you know, Osaka were, you know, kind of pals or he was a mentor to her, uh, you know. And look, also like Naomi Osaka's boyfriend, you know, kind of given the the Tony Kornheiser salute, as I like to call it, after she won. Uh, Corday, rapper Corday is his name. Uh, that was pretty cool. But the Kobe Bryant thing was really neat. And even when they took that picture, when he's giving her the Tony Kornheiser salute and she's got on the Kobe Bryant jersey, it's special. Yeah, she's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. All right, I want to know. Um, is it an insult way too soon to say, or just a dumb statement? She could be the next Serena. No. Um, and as I put it down there, you got the see the bet MGM sports book. Um, you could almost take every single grand slam, use the code just sport 2020. You get a 500 deposit match. Put down Naomi Osaka for every tournament, every tournament. Naomi Osaka is a champ. You can't go wrong. Um, yeah. Barring an injury, I think she is becoming as much as he just lost. Um, so maybe it's not the right comparison, but you know how they call Kawhi Leonard like RoboCop? Mm. That's Naomi Osaka. She is just focused mm. on winning championships. And I think that mm. there is no doubt she's going to, I, I'm going to put her down to win the French Open, which we'll get into next with Frank Hammerhand a little more um, in the next segment. Um, I just love her game. And mm -hmm. I think actually what's going to make her even better, which would be scarier, don't let Serena and her become friends and she's like giving her tips on how to be a champion in winning. Then Serena's, you know, if she can get this next uh, major and tie Margaret Court for most majors, one at 24, she, she's not going to have it for long before Osaka, I'd say in five to seven years, is going to have 25 majors if she continues playing at this level. She's just amazing. It's really cool watching the Osaka saga play out here in Osaka. <laughs> Actually, I'm in Kobe. I'm in Kobe, but Osaka is right next to us, right? So you got Kobe and Osaka. Get it? Get it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and she's a hero here. It's so cool. And I run by these tennis courts every day, this tennis academy, and you see these little girls just drilling their serves. And you know they're channeling Osaka. So it's really cool to be on this side of the world, see her become their national hero, and all these little girls just idolizing her. It's you got to get little Jimmy out there with a tennis racket. <laughs> little Roger Federer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think he'll be so light on his toes. I think he's got a 16 being an O lineman. You look up, dude. Come on. Yeah, yeah. 
Tight end, maybe. <laughs> tight end. Maybe the best tight end in football. Although I yeah, hope he plays right. best ball. Guaranteed uh, contracts. You could be a little healthier. You know, if you don't get the contact sport, you know. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. I'm hoping for golfer or Golf. esports would be nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, SNL. SNL. I'm excited about this one, Jamoke. Jim Carrey will be portraying Joe Biden, and I think he is the greatest pick. He matches. He has the smile. He has Joe Biden's kind of like smile. It's just like kind of creepy. There's something behind it, but just same smile. Um, I think he's going to be able to pull off Joe like we have never seen someone portray a politician before on SNL. So it's going to be him and Alec Baldwin going at it for this 2020 election, Jamoke. First of all, how do you think Jim Carrey's going to do? I think Jim Carrey is going to be amazing. I always felt that even if you go all the way back to In Living Color, which I was watching the other day on <laughs> Vice or something, I was like, that's Jim Carrey. He is one of the funniest actors of all time. His mannerisms, facial expressions, yeah. you know, the breath with which he can go as an actor. Insane. I think it's going to be a ratings bonanza. And I think Donald Trump is going to be really mad because he's yeah. probably going to look at Alec Baldwin, who has made fun of Donald Trump in yeah. almost every skit. And and then he's going to be like, oh, but Joe Biden, Jim Carrey's better at Joe Biden. That's probably what you're going to get. Is like I'm he's going to fair shake. My ratings are tanking. Jim Carrey's better. Baldwin's very terrible. That, that's what's going to happen because Jim Carrey, I think, is going to be so funny, and it's going to be great to pass the torch from Alec Baldwin, who's been really, really dynamic as if Donald Trump as well. If it happens, if it happens it, that's true. If it happens, if he passes the torch to uh, Jim Carrey, you couldn't ask for a better comedian and yeah. actor, even though I think Jim Carrey's career went down the tubes when he was like, I'm not an actor. I want to do serious roles. But I, I'm looking forward to it. Likewise, likewise. Who would you play on SNL? If you were oh a captain, God. who would you portray? Um. Oh boy, Barack Obama. I um, if I could be, you know, if 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 Joe Biden's the president, and then they do like a skit where Barack Obama is like over his shoulder, you know, kind of like uh, Key and Peele did, but it was with you know just with Barack Obama yeah, and like yeah. his alter ego. But I would be the the Barack Obama over Joe Biden, and I'm gonna do a really bad. I can't do an impression. I can't. I'm gonna screw it up. But that's who okay. I would play. Okay, work on it next week. I'll Wanna work on it for next week. Okay. okay. I gotta be Joe. You know, Joe. You you, Joe. you 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 gotta be able to get in there, and uh, you know, you have make tough tough decisions. Make tough decisions. Okay. There, that's that's a really good start. You have <laughs> okay. a starting point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, some sad news. Paris Hilton. I feel like she's been um, kind of kind of under the radar for the past five years or so, but I've seen her on TikTok. I've seen her on, uh, on social media um, kind of making waves. And mm -hmm. it turns out she's do got a documentary that just came out. It's on YouTube. And we found out that she was abused 
in her boarding school. It was a disciplinary boarding school that she went to when she was in her late teens. Her parents sent her there. And she's been reconnecting with these classmates mm-hmm. and, um, and sharing her traumatic memories. She hasn't touched this in years, like 20 some years. Um, Jamoke, did you follow it all, the simple life and, and that whole persona that she built yeah is this something that surprises you that she has this dark past it doesn't surprise me i think first of all for anybody who doesn't know if you look at her last name you could just tell that she came from a lot of money a lot of cheese so you know to me she started the internet she was like (laughs) the beginning of the first star to mm-hmm. kind of live your life on the internet, MTV, everything you do is being watched and followed in the reality style that went on for years. No, I didn't follow the simple life, but I knew who Paris Hilton is. And especially after last week, we talked about uh, Skip Bayless, you know, not having empathy for Dak Prescott coming out and talking about, you know, his issues. Like, I don't care how much money you have. And it showed reading about Paris Hilton's story, how sad it can be. And the fact that she had to go to a sort of a disciplinary school to get her life together um, and that she didn't know why she was going just in the middle of the night. She just Mm -hmm. went to Provo, Utah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. And she's, you know, having these issues that probably are never addressed, mostly because in many, most of us would say, if you have that kind of money, you shouldn't have problems. What kind of problems do you have? So for her to come out and be able to say, hey, I'm dealing with issues as well, like I have compassion for anyone in that situation because realistically you don't need to work. What what do you do with your life? And I hope mm-hmm. now she's going to learn to give back and make a difference, you know, maybe find some charities, uh, maybe even go back and help out that school. Um and 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 talk about the changes that need to be made. Uh, across the board for young people who are dealing with issues, no matter where you come from. Um, So I feel for her. Mm. Yeah, I was kind of blown away to see that. But you knew there was something there because she has just kept a stone face on for decades now, you know, Mm -hmm. since building that ditzy persona. But, you know, she's got to be brilliant. She invented the Kardashian space. I mean, she really did, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be, she wouldn't be, I mean, I guess Kim Kardashian or anybody, you think of the TikTok stars, none of them would be who they are without Paris Hilton. And she went to the Provo Canyon School is the school that she went to, and it's just some fortune. The school got sold. So their statement was that they can't comment on what went on um, under the previous ownership. But you got to wonder what what else could be going on out there at all these disciplinary schools uh, even now? Okay, so this is some happy news, Jamoke. If you want to take a vacation, you can head on out to Bel Air and 
Airbnb, the Fresh Prince Mansion. Oh, um, yeah. Actual mansion, Jamoke. It's like 30 bucks a night. Um, the proceeds are going to the Boys and Girls Club. Love that. It's apparently already kind of booked up. But I want to know, what iconic TV home or movie home would you choose to Airbnb? Okay, you got to brace for it. Mm. Wait, t- movie or TV, right? Movie or TV. The Ewok Village from Star Wars. Oh, nerd answer. It's a tree house. <laughs> it's like camping. I'm out yeah. in the wilderness. I just think it would be neat. It would be unique and just something completely different that you would not expect and probably didn't expect from me. But you didn't, I know, but that's where I would stay. And my second was the Millennium Falcon. Like shout out to Disney, shout out to Disney. I can't wait to go down there in Orlando and stay in the Star Wars uh, hotel and you get like an outfit and you know, it looks like in your like this space age home. Needless to say, my wife is like, she's not gonna go. She, I, it's a trip I have to take on my own or with the kids only. The light of hair. There's incentive there. That'd be pretty sick. And I just think it would be awesome. And it's yeah. like really unique. And then I saw this and I was like, okay, let me think of some other homes. Um, and then I got sad because you have to live in LA. Like, why yeah. do you have to live in LA to stay in one of these homes? I, I don't know, or stay in this Fresh Prince home. Travel, maybe? No. And then if you go on Airbnb, as I did, check it out. There are all of these cool places that you can stay. Like, all of these yeah. other, like, vintage homes and homes from Hollywood. So it was really cool to see. But that's right. Where would you stay? You know, the first one that came to mind, and I don't know why, but the McAllister house in Home Alone. Because oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Mr. McAllister can afford this house and a vacation to France for like 12 people, right? Yeah. Um, and you you and you and Justin would leave Jimmy home alone. That would be perfect. Home alone. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. You know, the amenities aren't too grand. But no. Just for the experience. We'd have yeah. to go to McAllister home. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. McAllister yeah. home. I like it. I like it. All right, and broken homes, Jamoke. Broken <sighs> homes. Party B and Offset are headed for divorce. She has filed for divorce after allegations of infidelity, apparently. What I want to know, we have seen this woman dance. We have seen her rap. We have seen her drag politicians and political pundits on the internet. I would not mess with this woman in any way. I wouldn't steal her parking space. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't... Um, get in front of her in line by accident. Um, I, I would never want to offend Cardi B. She seems like she has a knack for revenge and she is hard and she can come at you. So what is wrong with Offset for stepping in the wrong direction when he is married to that woman? Okay, so first of all, we're talking about a woman who came up uh, with WAP with Megan V. Stallion. Um, So I'm sure in many ways she is very intimidating 
and she is a star in her own right. And maybe Offset is like, I'm not as big as you, um, and I want to be just like you. So he's got to stay in the news some mm. way, somehow. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, Cardi B could have anybody she wants. Uh, yeah, right? I just. That relationship always confused me. No. And then you find out um, what all of these stars have trouble in marriages and relationships. And I don't know what that's like. Although someday Haley, you and I will be big time stars and everybody will will be watching Mm -hmm. our, our live streams. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know what they're going through. I, I have in some ways empathy for whatever we don't know is happening between them. Um, you know, but you hear of all kinds of, especially I feel like you hear about maybe more or from female uh, celebrities that they're mm-hmm. lonely or, you know, it's having a hard time with, with keeping a man, so to speak. Uh, that's just, it's unfortunate. And, you know, she's going to take her talents <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> take her talents <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> not maybe not South Beach. We know what all those towns are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leaves nothing to the imagination. No, no, no. <laughs> I go back to South Beach. No, no, no. So uh, someone's going to be like, I'm next. I'm ready. Right. She's yeah. still alive. Oh, what a fool. Offset. What a fool. Watch yeah. her back. Yeah. He's missing oh. out. Hmm. Okay, Haley. This has been great. It has. Thank you. Thank you. It. Uh, I had a ball. Likewise. As you enjoy always. your evening and uh, we'll see you in a bit. Arigato gozaimasu. Okay. Oh, I wait. I, I just say ciao, ciao for now for you. Ciao for now. We'll, we'll translate now. that one, okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Coming up next on Just for Sport is WTOP sports anchor Frank Hammerhand. Parlez-vous français? We talk about the favorites and long shots to win the French Open. But first, are you betting on NFL or NBA this season? How about the French Open? Take some of that action to BetMGM. Why? Because for a limited time, BetMGM has a special signing bonus for the Props Network listeners. All you have to do is create a new account at BetMGM and use code JUSTSPORT20 to get a 100% match on your first deposit up to $500. That's right. Just enter code JUSTSPORT20 and up to $500 bonus bank roll is yours. Then you'll enjoy all that BetMGM has to offer, like earning $10 free bets every week in the Money Monday Club, multi-sport parlay boosters, and the new Edit My Bet feature that allows players to change their bet tickets after they are submitted. That's the one I will need, definitely. BetMGM Sportsbook is live for legal betting in Colorado, Indiana, Nevada, New Jersey, and West Virginia. Try BetMGM with code JUSTSPORT20 now while the offers last. You must be 21 and over to bet online. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. 
Frank, how you doing? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk French Open with you. Uh, have you been uh, relishing in your uh, pick of Dominique Team to win the U.S. Open? Oh, is that um, no? Because I I sort of uh, like when Djokovic got kicked out. That was sort of like it kind of changed everything. So I'll take it. This conversation about betting on the big favorites, right? Because you just never know what's going to happen. And we never expected that to happen. So when that sort of occurred, I was like, oh, okay. And one of these young guns is finally going to win it. So that was a good sweat, that final. So, you know, sometimes you take your, your wins, but man, it can be quite an adventure to get there. So, yeah, when it settles in and I'll say, okay, I picked him to win. That's great. But, Ooh, that was quite quite a final because I thought I thought Zverev would would ultimately be just too good, and that wasn't the case. He was outlasted. It was like those guys were playing not to lose. It was it was quite quite a final. Yeah, well, um, that still changed some things for the French Open for sure. Do you think in any way? Well, is it unfair to say that um, there should be an asterisk with this final? Be simply because of the fact that you know Djokovic was mm -hmm. disqualified. It's a great question. I thought going in we'd have an asterisk next to it just because of all of the uh, surrounding elements, with mm -hmm. no fans, no Nadal, no Federer. But man, watching those matches, it was almost as if there was more pressure without the crowd. Does that make sense? Because yeah, you and your opponent, you have no yeah. outside help. So to that question, I think we will always say well. You know, quite frankly, I think if Djokovic was in there, he would have just mowed those guys down because they the moment they were just playing so tight. Djokovic has been there so many times before. He probably would have just dusted those guys off the court. But, hey, you know what? He screwed up. So to answer your question, no, I don't think there will be an asterisk. We'll remember it as, oh, that was a tournament where Djokovic nailed the, the lines, Judge. But I will say no <laughs> asterisk. Those guys earned it. It's it was it was just tough to to watch. Yeah. Um, you know the way that he hit the lines, Judge, and you're just, oh my god! I mean, and he should have been kicked out. That's the thing. Like tennis etiquette, you can't do that. It doesn't matter if it's intentional or unintentional. Mm -hmm. you just, that's it. You're done. Um, so a lot of people I've talked to, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. But I want to be like, well, yeah, it is kind of bad. You just you can't do that. You slam your racket a couple times, you'll get tossed. You hit some lines person once, that's it. Mm -hmm. So those are the breaks, man. And, and then the other part I think that added to the issue is, and maybe this isn't a big thing, but for me, it was tough to watch him try to finagle the judges into saying, I didn't really hit her. Like, I right, kind of yeah, hit her, yeah. but I didn't hit her. Come on, you yeah. could just let me play. And it's like, right. realistically, it's like, you know what, Djokovic, that just means you did not have compassion no. for what you did. You just were all. like, no, no, you know, I, I am Djokovic. I deserve mm -hmm. to be playing. That's Yeah. And that's why I think, like, you know, we're going to get to it in a second, but that's why I like him in the French Open now because – He's got a lot to prove, to not only to himself, but to fans and 
to sort of make up for that gaffe because that was a that was a huge mistake, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was it was pretty sad. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, Naomi Osaka. She beats Victoria Azarenka. I don't know why I didn't see that coming, Frank. I mean, Victoria Azarenka won the Western and Southern Open, although it was because mm-hmm. uh, you know Naomi Osaka was injured and didn't play. And I don't want to take away from Azarenka winning that tournament. I mean, the bottom line, she made it to the finals, and I just never thought that she would then make it to the finals of the U.S. Open as oh, well. I know. I know. Good for her. I mean, what a comeback. It's been like, what, seven, eight years before she was in the, between the finals? Um, so I got to juice up my computer before it goes down. Um, okay. okay. But, uh, that was something, and she I thought she had it too. And then Osaka sort of was like, you know what? I need to recharge, refocus. And like she flipped a switch, and it was a completely different player from the middle of the second set on. I, that, that's the crazy thing about tennis. One second, the player looks like they're dead to rights, and then voila, they get a quick changeover, quick mm-hmm. break, and they totally change their outset, their mindset, and it's a different match. Let me put this charger on. Where is my charger? Hold on. All right. No, it was it, it, it. There's no doubt that it was amazing to watch. Uh, it was amazing to watch not only Naomi Osaka win, but I think the way that you saw all of the emotions out of her in that first set when she yeah. was losing and. You didn't know. I didn't know she was going to come back. I mean, you go down in that first set and you're down six one, and you somehow turn it around in the second and third games, you know, or set. Excuse me. I just not that I didn't think she had it in her, mm-hmm. but I thought she was emotionally losing it so much in that first set. I just didn't see her recovering. I was just amazed to see how she kind of composed herself. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw the first set and she was just making unforced errors and mistakes. And uh, I not that you want to do live betting, but uh, if you did, there's a spot <laughs> right there where you're probably going to good odds. Right. Of, of she just looked so out of it and not ready and not in tune. And whoever or whatever was inside her head was just strong enough to get her back on on track. And that's something that's scary. Right. Because if you're the opponent. And you win six one, you think, oh, I'm I'm good, right? Yeah, yeah. Not not so much, not so fast. So yeah, to her credit, that is the 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 DNA champion, so to so to speak. And that's what you gotta watch out for, even if you are a previous champion like Azarenka. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she put her foot off the pedal, but I'm sure in her brain she was thinking, Okay, I'm good, I got this. Yeah. She, she wasn't right. Yep. Let's stick with the women's side as we now move to the French Open as we get set for what is sure to be probably the most bizarre time for all of us in sports. The French Open is normally played in late May to early June. Here we are in September getting ready to play to watch the a Grand Slam tournament on the red clay. Uh on the women's side, Simona Halep is back, but Ashley Barty will not be playing. She will right. not be defending her title. Eugenie Bouchard gets a wild card in this tournament, which, you know, on the men's side, uh, Andy Murray got one too. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. 
I am. Let's look at uh, Bet GM's lines here of who they mm-hmm. think will win it all. Uh, as it stands right now, we've got Simona Halep at the top at plus three hundreds, Bertens at eight hundred, Naomi Osaka at plus nine hundred, Serena Williams at plus a thousand as the top four players you can mm. look at. Okay. Um, who are you thinking? Right. will come out on the women's and we don't know the draw right now that we're as right. we're talking right. we don't have the draw but just the strongest player on the women's side that you think can win it this is interesting because again it's french open uh the surfaces are much slower uh, so it's not going to help your power players as much it sort mm-hmm. of evens the field but again we've had this discussion about value plays and I would never, although anything you take here is a value, right? So as, uh, Osaka's ground strokes are just so good that, and to our point, obviously mentally strong um, coming off of this U.S. Open victory. But plus 900, that's a good value, man. Why not put like a C note on her? Um, Halep is also very good, and she's a value at plus 300. So I don't. So whatever play you make here, in my opinion, is a smart play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to take Serena Williams at plus a thousand. That's that 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 clay slows everything down, gives people with more of a touch an advantage. But I like I like what Osaka did at the U.S. Open. So if I'm going to do a value, I will probably do her play plus nine hundred. That's yeah. That's, that's why does that seem so high? They <laughs> know something I don't. Um, and crazy well, things happen. And and Halep at plus three hundred is not a bad value either. So maybe maybe those two. Give me a couple C notes on those. I think the part that I also why I feel like I would put money on Serena as well mm-hmm. is because. One of these tournaments, and granted, it's not like Tiger right. when he came out of nowhere and, uh, and and started winning again. It's not quite like that. But one of these tournaments, she's going to put it all together, and it's going to be a surprise. So I feel like every tournament, if you've got a C note or you know ten dollars to just say, okay, let me put that on Serena too. Is she ever going to win again? Because to right. me, Osaka will always be the favorite. Any tournament, I'm going yeah. Osaka, 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 Osaka. Yeah. But second, I would put Serena, especially because mm-hmm. Ashley Barty's not playing. Yeah. To, yeah, to your point, that's it, you would think at some point she's going to get one more major. So you might as well throw something down. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, maybe a little, uh, you know, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there. Because again, like we said, the, the return is so good. Mm-hmm. That's what's that's what's enticing about all of this. There's no real on the men's side. There are some real favorites, or there's one real favorite. But on the women's side, whoever you take, if you take four to five players, and the value is so good, ultimately this this could work out for you in the end. We'll see. Yeah, and if you're wondering who Ashley Barty beat in the French Open last year, thinking, oh, maybe I'll pick that person. Well, it's Marketa von Drusova. Does anybody know that. who that is? I don't remember that. <laughs> know who that is. So, I don't remember that at all. Wow. A very long, long, long shot. <laughs> if you want to pick wow. Vondrasova, wow. okay. uh, I just don't see it happening. <laughs> um, okay, is, is there – who would you say is 
uh, kind of a sleeper pick. If you want to go further down, Kvitova's plus 2,000. Kerber's mm. at plus 3,300. Vondrasova, as we mentioned, wow. is at plus 4,000. Plus 4,000. <laughs> Oh, man. That's and tough. Andrescu is plus 1,600. I, oh, I don't know. Right? Plus 1,800. Andrescu Kinnan plus is plus 2,200. I like yeah. I like her. Andrescu? Yeah. She didn't play in the U.S. Open, right? No. No. Okay. So maybe she's rested. I'll take her. And I think what hap- what's going to be interesting to see as I go back to Osaka <laughs> for a minute, um, and Azarenka was plus 1,600, is – Several players opted to say, okay, am I going to do French or U.S. Open because of the different court surfaces? You know, they went right from the U.S. Open to playing in Italy on the Mm -hmm. clay before you go to the French Open. So I think players kind of, you know, had to pick and choose. And speaking of a player Mm -hmm. who had to pick and choose, let's go to the men's side and Rafa, Rafa, the 12-time champion. He hasn't played in six months. He said, you know what? I'm not playing in the U.S. Open. I'm going to prepare for my, well, what really is his best tournament. And he may be the greatest, probably is the greatest clay court player ever, having won not just 12 tournaments, 12 uh, French Opens, but nine Italian Opens. Clay is his game. And he's coming back into this tournament Minus one twenty five. So I guess you're not picking him. You know, it's yeah. That's um actually not as I thought. I thought he might be a little bit more of a favorite, but I think it's because of the layoff. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play the U.S. Open. He is getting a little older, but boy, that is his. That that's his castle, right? And he rules it. Um, it's not actually a bad play in terms of just putting a little bit on it. Because we've we've had this discussion about taking favorites is always risky, always dicey. Um, but he is the guy to beat. Clearly, he is just so good on that surface, and whoever he plays knows that he is so good on that surface. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you're playing two people. You're like one versus two. So who's ever the the mentally uh, capable of of getting on the same court with him, and that's why there's so few other guys that I would. Wager on. I mean, at Djokovic is yeah. some, what is he like plus three hundred? Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a bad. That's that's a good value, I think, to take Djokovic. Not the greatest on clay, but he's got some French Open titles. Maybe does he have one? Maybe I don't know, one or two. Or yeah, he yeah he has one. One. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that one year that Nadal yeah. didn't win it. Yeah. Um, and there's just like the younger guys. I just I, I just don't see that happening. So those are the two. It's a two horse race, I think, in terms of the French Open. Those two guys. So the thing for me is I, I don't disagree with you, and I think most people are going to look at this tournament and say, well, Nadal hasn't played in almost seven months coming right. into this French Open, and yet he dusted one of the semifinals in the U.S. Open, 6-1, 6-1 in his first <laughs> Italian Open match. Uh, Carreno Busta just destroyed him. It's just like, okay, yeah. no, I, I'll I'll go on ahead and, and and just you know, it's like a tune up for him, and he knows <laughs> how to play on clay. Yeah. Um. Here's the other one. Okay, we yeah. got Dominique Team at plus three hundred. He has been the runner up in the French right. Open the past two years, twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen to twenty eighteen, losing to Rafa. He's talked about how he feels more relaxed 
coming off a of cloud nine, winning his yeah. first Grand Slam. You know, now the jitters of will I win a first Grand Slam mm -hmm. is over for him, which I do think is a positive. Mm -hmm. uh, pass who didn't go as long as I thought he would, he's at plus 1,600. Zverev, who lost to team in the U.S. Open, is at plus 2,000. And wow. Medvedev is at plus 2,200. Okay. Yeah, those are good values. I, I always have liked Zverev. I thought he was going to win the U.S. Open. Not the case. So, again, when you win that title, that boosts, obviously, his belief, our beliefs. Team at, what, plus 300? Is that what you mm -hmm. said? Mm -hmm. It's not bad. I like Zverev and Medvedev. Put a little coin on that as well. Not that, you know, hardcore is their surface. Yeah, yeah. But they're right. They're always knocking at the door, man. So I think you might as well take those, the new big three of the young guns, teams, Zverev and Medvedev, and then Djokovic and uh, Nadal. So those are your, those are your power plays. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I'm looking for a deep sleeper, uh -huh. I was going down the list from BetMGM. You can make your bets there. Okay. Uh, you follow it from the Props Network uh, down to BetMGM Sportsbook. You can get a special offer, $500 deposit match using the code JustSport20. You got Nick Kyrgios at plus 6,600. Wow. <laughs> Batista Agut at plus 8,000. Shapovalov at plus 10, uh, Shapovalov, excuse me, at plus 10,000. Okay. Nisha Corey at plus 10,000. I feel like those Ooh. are names that it's like, yeah. I could see them making a run um, if Nick Kyrgios, at least just mm -hmm. with him, can keep his emotions in check. Yeah. I yeah. like some of those long plays as well. Juan mm -hmm. Del, Martin Del Potro is plus 6,600. Oh, wow. Forgot about him. Okay. Yeah, no, I, it's the problem is is that you got those big guys at the end, right? So you probably, mm -hmm. yeah, you might make a nice run. Can you bet on if they get to the semis? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that, that's the thing. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, you can if you want to. I mean, I'm okay. looking only at the finals, but the quarters, those yeah. aren't, you know, those aren't bad picks to maybe say maybe they'll get to the semis and quarters. Yeah, right, absolutely. But again, we got to wait for the draw. But yeah, to your point, those guys are good enough to do that. Mm -hmm. For sure. And uh, I like and even that guy like Korich who upset uh, Sissipas, right? And then was pushing. He's at people. plus 8,000. Yeah, I like him too. So, yeah. Use some of those guys that had a little momentum at the U.S. Open or some that were like sort of ticked off and disappointed like Sissipas was. Roundage has to be disappointed. He's Roundage, at plus right. 10,000. Chilich is at plus 10,000. Chilich. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's it's again, it's wide open up until, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> up until, up until. Let's see the draw. We'll figure out what's what's yeah. going to happen with the draw um, as we move off the court, but still with the French Open. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I don't know how many people know the French Open is allowing fans in. Now, there's going to be specific testing in place for the players. But they're going to allow fans, and the players have to stay in a bubble. Mm -hmm. uh, they only can stay in one of two hotels, so I'm sure many of them have their private chalets that they want to stay in. They cannot do that, so they have to stay in a bubble. But it's not like you're asking the fans to stay in a bubble, so I'm curious to yeah. see what the court is going to look like. If they're going to be glass partitions up, 
that kind of yeah. you know keep any germs or sneezes like from floating? Upper deck or something? Like Maybe only in the away. upper deck. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to yeah. see what they do there. Do you think it's good to have fans in the stadium? I I do. I thought it was a little interesting at the end of the U.S. Open. It was almost like they're allowing more coaches and like random employees to like be at the final. So I yeah. felt like if if you're either going to have fans or not, mm-hmm. like you got to stick to it. So I'm I'm curious to see the French Open, like how many will be there. I think from that, you know, just the little claps after each big play, that actually sort of does give you some sort of. Uh, uh, Harken back to the good old days when when people could applaud and cheer you on. So I think as a player, you appreciate that. So yes, I do like the fans, but to your point, how are they going to do that? How far away are they? Um, how many will there be? Uh, but I think it does provide some sort of ambiance to the whole experience. So I do like the idea, but again, it's just the execution. And 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 the one player going back to Novak Djokovic, who already was disqualified for the U.S. Open, he's already not off to his best behavior at the Italian Open. He uh-huh. was complaining about noise. They don't have fans. There were like 10 people in the stands. And he's already saying that the 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 crowd noise <laughs> bothered him. It's like, wait a minute, you used yeah. to play with fans and you have 10 people in the stadium. Right. And, you're compl- and, and maybe that's the catch 22 because it's probably okay. amplified. I guess mm-hmm. the sound is amplified. That one person. Must be something, yeah. And again, he shouldn't be complaining. Like, just for right now, like, keep your head straight forward. Don't say anything. You're coming off an embarrassing situation. You don't want to, like, continue to add to your um, resume of doing dumb things. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you should just shut up. And the umpire also uh, questioned Djokovic because he wasn't wearing a mask as he made his way out onto the court. So it's just like, you're just batting a thousand going into this French Open, Novak. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with you. Oh, my God. Um, It's not that hard. No. And and so, okay, we know that Rafa has some idiosyncrasies. Sure. And it's been noticed at the Italian Open. I'm sure I'm, you know, I think this should be something they should put on Bet MGM as well. He's putting towels in every corner of the court. So at the end of his matches when he's winning on social media, you know, you just see Rafa going around picking up 20, 30 towels like like he's an attendant. He's a ball kid, so he's just walking back with oh, a handful of towels. It's going to be fun to see how many towels he he's going to be carrying around and placing on the on the French Open court. I'm going to be watching. I think we should have some bets on MGM uh, as to how many he's going to uh, have on the court. That's right. Because that was like a big point of contention for some of these players like because of their routine. They're so used to going over the ball kid or ball boy or ball woman and getting the towel. And now they've got to do it on yeah. their own. Oh, the humanity. Jeez. And you, you can't, you know – touch you can't talk to the, well i guess you can talk to him but there's you can't have the same interaction with the ball kids i mean you you and i both play tennis do you have any idiosyncrasies things that you do um, after you win uh, a game or anything like that no nah, i mean I, i'm much more like if i don't have something prior rather than during so like if i forget a sweatband or something that'll annoy me yeah be, ah, i forgot my sweatband but during it, I don't really have any like sort of uh, routine that if it's out of whack, it'll it'll 
set me off. So, but to Nadal, he's got the whole thing, touching everything, the towels. So maybe the last six months he was working on that kind of stuff, right? You know, to, <laughs> it's quite, to do what he does. Uh, quite possible. Mine was pretty simple, but especially yeah. if I was down, I would take a little bit of time. I turn my back to the opponent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would kind of play with my strings and just talk to myself, you know, and then take two or three deep breaths. Yeah. And then right. turn back around and, and try to act like, okay, new game, let's go. Right. And, I, and that, I, that was my thing. Do that. Yeah, they put up a towel on the fence, sort of like to give them their breather. Yeah. I, I don't do that. I actually like to just keep it moving so I don't yeah. think about it too much. Okay. Yeah. Final predictions. Okay. Who's winning it all on the men's and women's side? See. Okay. So if, I, if I'm just going to pick a straight-up winner – I'll go with Nadal again because he's just he's just so good. Uh, but if I was going to put a little bit of money down, I would put some money down on Djokovic, and I'll take Zverev too. Um, Zverev. Zverev, I think he's just he's just in my mind he's too good not to do something. Mm-hmm. He had mm-hmm. his opportunity at the U.S. Open. We'll see how he responds to that. So I'll go with those two guys to put money down. But I think Nadal is going to win. And on the women's side, it's so wide open. But I do like I do like Osaka again off of uh, her mental um, showing at the U.S. Open, being so very strong to come back and win in that in that fashion. And she's a good value. So those are my two picks: Nadal, Osaka. But give a little coin on uh, Zverev and Djokovic. What do you have? So I did them dirty. Oh, I'm team 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 team. And I didn't go with team for the U.S. Open. So I'm going with team this go round. Okay. I, I should have never went off of him. I'm taking him at plus 300 uh, to win it all. Okay. I think the fact that he was a runner up the last two years, I think this is his time uh, to shine. He's on a roll. I'm picking him to win it all. Mm-hmm. Um, on the women's side, I'm going with Osaka. I just so both of uh, Osaka okay. at plus nine hundred, team at plus three hundred. Those are my picks to win the French Open. Nice, we got one out of two. Nice. <laughs> Let's see yeah. how we do. I know. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, man. I'll talk I appreciate to you. it. All see right, you. have a good one. See ya. In our last segment of Just for Sport, it's my selection for the All NBA Writer Team: The Athletics, Michael Lee. He's on my first team. We talk about the NBA playoffs, what's next for the Clippers and Bucks now that they're out of the bubble, hear his take on the role of athletes with social justice, how he expected better from the Chiefs fans during the NFL season opener, and why all of the positive things John Wall has done with the community and on the court could be wiped away with one video. Before you bet at your favorite online sports book this season, you need to check out thepropsnetwork.com. Why? Because the Props Network will tell you everything you need to know about sportsbook promos, where to score free bets, and all of the options for legal betting in your state. Plus, the Props Network now has live odds comparison for NBA, NHL, and MLB, so you can make every bet knowing that you've got the best value available. That's why the PropsNetwork.com is a must for U.S. sports betting fans. Remember, it's 21 and over to bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER today. 
All right, joining me now just for sport is the senior writer for the Athletic NBA. It's Michael Lee. Michael, thank you very much for giving me some of your time. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing okay. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I mean, we were colleagues working side by side covering the Washington Wizards when you were Washington Post alum. I love not just your coverage of the NBA for the Athletic, but uh, your tweets are quite, quite creative, which we'll get into <laughs> later. Pretty funny. Um, let's jump right into it. First matchup, Miami versus Boston. Miami's up one nothing. Uh, did you see this series being the Eastern Conference Finals matchup? Um, I saw the bubble uh, leading to some upsets. I, I thought that everybody was just doing um, the normal push, but with no home court advantage. And uh, just sort of the unique circumstances of the bubble, um, you know, with no travel, I, I anticipated that there would be some things that happened that were going to be a little off the chart. So while I may have thought that this would be Milwaukee in, you know, Boston, um, the fact that Miami won, it's not a shock uh, considering that they had handled Milwaukee uh, in the season and then, you know, in the playoffs, it just really was, <laughs> it was pretty lopsided as well. So, um, I can't say that going into the bubble, these are the two teams I thought, but now that it's played out this way, it makes perfect sense um, because the bubble wasn't supposed to make sense. <laughs> it was not supposed to make sense. I mean, there's no such thing as home court advantage. I love this matchup. My favorite matchup of two players is Jimmy Butler versus Jason Tatum and seeing how they mm. two, how the two of them lead their teams what matchup do you like watching when you're, you know, keying in on this Celtics heat matchup? Yeah. I mean, I'm all about the stars. And I think that one of the things that's very intriguing about this, and it hasn't really been mentioned uh, very much was Jimmy Butler was available. Uh, he's been traded three times and just uh, the first time the bulls uh, seen to put him on the market, the Celtics were sort of mentioned as a, as a destination for him, for him. And Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum would have been the trade piece that acquired him. And Danny Ainge decided that he wasn't going to make that deal. And he decided to hold on to the picks. And now those guys have developed into Tatum's all-star right on the borderline. And so it's kind of interesting to see, one, just the fact that, you know, Boston uh, has found a way to stay relevant uh, for all these years, but also that, these young players who were kind of used as trade t uh, chips and, and sort of being um, trade assets to get a, a marquee name have actually become marquee names and now they're facing off against one of the guys who um, they uh, they were rumored to be involved, engaged in trade discussions with. So uh, I just find it interesting that, you know, after all that, we, we, we come up with a playoff series uh, with these teams. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see the growth of Tatum and Brown and also just Kimball Walker, a guy who hasn't ever really been on this stage before, have an opportunity to play at this level. And it, it's just too – got a championship culture with the Celtics, you know, from, you know, going for Banner 18. And you have the Heat culture, which is one that's about hard work and, and all the determination and everything else. So it's good to see a clash of these two franchises. And for both of them, uh, I mean, just think about it just eight years ago, when the Celtics and the Heat, you know, used to match up when you had LeBron and 
D Wade and Bosch versus KG and Ray Allen and, and Paul Pierce. And you flip it back, you know, you come back and, and these teams are still relevant. They're still um, uh, going at it. And it's just, it's just cool to see it. It shows you what the power strength of a good organization, a franchise that isn't about just trying to bottom out and tank out to try to uh, luck in the success, but actually to, um, you know, invest in player development uh, and make shrewd draft moves and trades to try to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with what you said. I mean, these two organizations run by Danny Ainge and, and Pat Riley, uh, who go yeah. way back to their Celtics days. One is a player, one, you know, as a coach. Uh, the coach of the, the Lakers, old Celtics. Yeah. yeah, man, that goes way back. Um, and Kimba Walker, as you mentioned, he hasn't played on this stage. Would it be unfair of me to say that he is kind of like the X factor for the Celtics to be able to get to the NBA finals. Cause he's been okay, but not the Kimba that I think we use are used to seeing in Charlotte, at least in the playoffs, he hasn't been that Kimba Walker. Well, the one thing about the playoffs is that, you know, it really is a test um, of what you can, what you can do when what you want to do is no longer an option. And I think that, um, you know, the general manager of the uh, Golden State Warriors, um, Bob Myers, said as eloquently at uh, the Sloan Conference uh, about a year and a half ago um, that, you know, you really get to see who the real players are in the playoffs um, because you have to find a way to diversify your game and adjust um, because it's all about exposing your weaknesses and seeing if you have a counter. And I think that's sort of what Kimba's up against. You know, he's never been in this stage where he's playing meaningful games uh, where teams are just completely focused on stopping him and taking away what he wants to do. And it's an adjustment. You know, it's funny because he's the veteran and he's the guy that's been in the league for, you know, nine years. But Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they've been experiencing that from the jump. Yeah. You know, uh, Jason Tatum was in the conference <laughs> finals going, you know, mano a mano with LeBron James as a rookie, you know. So, yeah. You know, third year, third time around in the playoffs, he's going to probably be a little more experienced with this and he's going to be able to handle those responsibilities a little bit differently than a guy like Kimball, who just he's been in the playoffs, but never advancing this far where the defenses are better. The coaches are better. And, um, you know, the the way they go about trying to stop you is better. So he could be an X factor. But when I think about X factors, I think about guys like Marcus Smart, um, you know, who have the tendency to who can shoot you in and out of games with, with uh, cause he has such an errant, errant jumper. But if he gets hot and he starts drilling threes, you know, all of a sudden you got a, uh, you got a pretty entertaining ball game. So I, I lean more towards Marcus smart. Cause I, when I think of X factors, I think of guys who aren't on the max contracts because those are the ones who are paid to deliver. Mm-hmm. That's understandable. Um, your predictions for the series. I know as, as we are recording now, they're going to play a second game tonight. <laughs> Um, going into the series, was it evenly matched for you? Were you picking one team over the other? Uh, yeah, I really, it's hard for me to pick, uh, cause they are quite evenly matched. And as I said, you know, in, in the beginning, I, I didn't expect this to be the, the Eastern conference finals. So, um, <laughs> the fact that Miami's here and they're a five C, um, I think it sort of, it sort of has an NCAA tournament feel to it. Yeah. Um, I probably just lean to Miami just because even though neither team has guys on either side that have actually done it and gotten to the finals, um, 
Jimmy Butler just looks like a man on a mission, and the, the and Eric Spolstra is the coach that has got his team to the finals before. So I would kind of lean towards the, the the team full of dogs and, and the coach with the championship rings. And that's funny too because you you mentioned Jimmy Butler and, and his toughness, and although that block by Bam Adebayo on Jason Ooh, Tatum incredible. was was it was incredible. It was really the combination of both of those plays. That and one by Jimmy Butler going down. Strong. He wasn't at the apex. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing on Jason Tatum. So he was involved in both plays, unfortunately. But, you know, I think if you put in totality of two plays back-to-back, it may have, may have been one of the best sequences in playoff basketball. It was. And also, I think it speaks to Jimmy. <clears throat> you know, he's one of those guys that isn't afraid of the big moments. He's He's – doesn't mind the pressure of taking the big shots. As a matter of fact, he actually goes after it. He wants the ball in those situations and can live with the results because, you know, he trusts and has confidence in himself. So I, th- I thought it was great that he was the guy that went in for the close. And it says a lot about, you know, um, how we evaluate talent and how, you know, that he's on his uh, fourth team in four years. Mm-hmm. And these were organizations that traded for him because they hoped that they could find a way to win. And, uh, he really just needed to find his tribe in Miami and it seems he's found it. Uh, Speaking of a team that has found something that no other team is in in NBA history has found the Denver nuggets have come down from (laughs) one, three and two straight series to eliminate Mm. the jazz. And then the Clippers Uh, let's first back up going into game seven. I said, Oh, Clippers got this. Who would have known that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would only have 10 field goals made combined? And the Denver Nuggets just looked like the better, more veteran team that wasn't scared of the moment. Yeah, I honestly think that they played freer. You know, Um, they had nothing to lose. The Clippers had everything to lose, and they played like it. Um, Although pressure was on them, you know, there's been at least a 15 month buildup or so, maybe 14 month buildup for a Lakers Clippers conference finals. That's what everyone's <laughs> yeah. been talking about from the moment Kawhi, you know, chose the Clippers and Paul George came along with them. It's just been something that everybody's been talking about Lakers Clippers, Lakers Clippers, Lakers Clippers. So that's what you always wanted. And so the fact that they choked those game five and game six just gave those games away after building double digit leads in the second half. The pressure fell squarely on them. And uh, they weren't up for the moment. They weren't up for the challenge. And I, I think I saw a stat that like Doc Rivers is 0-8 in game yeah. sevens. And this yeah. is a guy who has a championship. That's pretty staggering, um, you know, considering, you know, and so you, when you see numbers like that and when you see the performance where they just really just, you know, uh, I don't want to say, I was about to say something that I shouldn't say, but <laughs> they, they um, I, <laughs> I'll say they wet the bed. They wet yeah, the bed, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, but I, I think they were really um, under a lot of pressure um, and they, and they, and they, they just weren't up for it. You know, they say pressure makes diamonds or bust pipes and they were pipes in that situation. Yeah. Oh, um, but, but, but the nuggets, they, they, they were free. They had nothing to lose. If they lost the game. Oh, well, you weren't supposed to win anyway. But mm-hmm. if you, if you just go out there and play hard and you win all of a sudden, everybody's like, Oh snap, look at you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's sort of what they had they had in their favor is that um, they they were playing with house money in game seven because they had already done enough just to push it that far. Um, but they just proved to be the better coach and the more mentally tough team in that series. 
And that's why they're the one advancing to play the Lakers. And now that they are playing the Lakers, Jokic, who do you put on Jokic? I mean, is it Anthony Davis as the, the defensive stopper or you free up Davis and put JaVale McGee or, or Dwight Howard on Jokic? I think, you know, you put LeBron on Murray if need be, but it's Jokic that I feel like is, is the key here. Of course. Um, I think you can try whatever you want. Um, you know, you can try to double him and you can put whatever individual talent on you. I think AD is going to get a lot of time in that matchup. Um, but the one thing about Jokic is, and you saw it in game seven, if you put too much attention on him, he's going to pick you apart because he loves sharing the ball. I mean, he's, you know, people say that he's the best passing big man in the NBA. And I think it's kind of unfair to sort of put that label on him because he's one of the best passers, regardless of position in the NBA. He has an incredibly high IQ. He understands the game. He, he understands cutting and he understands how to get his teammates open. Um, he is a phenomenal passer and he's, he's, he's not somebody who says, okay, well, we're going to win the game. Let me step up here and I got to get 40 points tonight. He's not, he's not built that way. He's like, well, we got to win the game. So that means some nights I got to get 25, but I really got to get my rebounds. I really got to, you know, get my assists. I got to do whatever I can to help our team win. And that's sort of the approach that he takes. And I think that's one of the things that I, I like about him. One that, you know, he doesn't look like the most athletic guy. So he sort of provides inspiration for people um, who may be a little out of shape. <laughs> um, and, and then he's just, he's just incredibly skilled. You know, um, you know, we, we've spent so much time marginalizing big men that we take for granted that, you know, there's a lot of talent at that position. And he's, he's one of the, the bright spots for the league, you know, a young guy who, um, you know, isn't really hungry for attention or, uh, accolades. He just wants to win and he's going to do whatever it takes. So whoever the Lakers throw on him, um, you know, have at it, have, have fun with it, but he'll find a way to beat you, whether you put all your attention on him or you don't. But I just say this in the first round, Rudy Gobert is a two-time defensive player of the year. And he got his in the second round, the Clippers put everybody they could possibly throw at him and he got his. So, um, the, the key is going to be what the other guys do and if they're going to be willing to step up. But I, I'm not worried about Jokic at all because this is a guy who averaged a triple-double in the playoffs last year. And when the series was over, he uh, – I'm really just correct. When the series was over last year and they lost to the, to the Trailblazers, um, this guy averaged a triple-double. It was in the locker room crying and telling his teammates that he's going to be better, that he had to be better. And, and that just tells you better. about – yeah. He yeah he wasn't throwing anybody under the bus he wasn't saying oh you missed your shots no he said I gotta be better and I'm sorry I let you all down like he apologized to his teammates in the locker room for coming up short and that's 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 one thing I say about Jokic like I, that's why I got a lot of respect for him and I'm glad that people are starting to see just what a good player he is because he's not into all this ancillary you know stuff he just wants to win yeah. He definitely wants to win. And LeBron James on the other side, you know he wants to win too. And he's already got the rings. <laughs> Who are the X factors for both teams for you? And I want to throw it out there that Paul Millsap, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, it he's kind of got a resurgence for the Nuggets and the way he's playing. And for the Clippers, I mean – I mean, excuse me, mean wow, I just said the Kipper Clippers. <laughs> for the Lakers, I think getting back Rondo was, was huge for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, Rondo was huge. Um, you know, he's he's a bit of bit of a pesky irritant. You know, he gets on your nerves, he gets under your skin, <laughs> and um, he's always finds a way to elevate his game um, for the moment. You know, it's going back to his days in Boston. Whenever they were on national TV, he'd always have a triple double or do something phenomenal um, to to let, say, "Oh, wow, this guy is great." Um, mm-hmm. So whenever the moment, you know, it, the bigger the moment, the better Rondo you're going to get. And I think he's just been waiting for an opportunity like this to be playing with, playing for a championship, playing with a guy like LeBron who's on top of his game right now. Um, and I think that they just got a lot of hungry veterans and guys who who want to compete and win. Um, you mentioned Paul Millsap. I think that he's not necessarily an X factor. I think he's more of just that kind of steady, you know, leader. Um, you know, the one thing that I'm, I worry about, <laughs> you know, for the Nuggets is that. Millsap versus LeBron, whenever they met, they matched up uh, in the Eastern Conference was never fun, never pretty. <laughs> it was often very lopsided and the Hawks, you know, were gone pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping for his sake that the Nuggets could put up a better fight than his Hawks did. Um, but I honestly feel the X factor for the Nuggets is going to be Michael Porter Jr. Um, wow. You know, it's his first, yeah, it's his first time playing, you know, on this stage. And uh, it's funny because when they were down 3-1, he called out, you know, folks yeah. who said, you oh, know, yeah. we can't just depend on two guys. We got to move the ball around more. And he got roasted. And, you know, everyone said, what is this young kid doing? Keep that in the locker room. Keep it, keep your mouth shut and, you know, just, you know, do you, you know, apply your trade and, and get out the way. But he said, hey, nah, man, I'm, 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 I'm here. Like, you know, give me the ball. Yeah. And uh, he had a huge block. He had a huge three um, in one of their games. Uh, I think it was game six. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's just a kid that, you know, has got a lot of moxie. And yeah. they, they're they going to need another weapon, um, a guy who can get buckets, because, um, you know, the press, they're gonna, the Lakers going to load up on Jokic and on Jamal Murray, who I think he's really been the breakout star of this playoffs. I think that, um, you know, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins has always been considered the savior for Canadian basketball. Like they always thought that he would be Maple Jordan or whatever. Um, but Jamal Murray is a guy that's, that's coming in and he's actually represents the Canada better than anybody else. Because of the yeah. side of Steve Nash. Man. I mean, he, especially, woo. I mean, that jazz series, 50, 42 and 51, three straight games. Yeah. Like, whoo, boy, that he was balling. And I, and, and in many yeah, ways, I mean, he runs, he runs hot and cold. So yeah, he, he can, he can be pretty streaky and he might've just emptied a clip and might not have anything left for this series. I'm hoping yeah. he has a couple, a little bit left in his, in his uh, artillery. Cause uh, you know, I want to have, have an entertaining series, Me too. Um, but yeah, he, he's really had a, a breakout performance and I, uh, his numbers are just insane. I thought, I think he's shooting, like 50% from the floor and like 49% from three and over 90% from the foul line. And like the numbers he's putting up, he's like in the complete elite category. So it's been fun to see him develop and and to see him emerge because Denver is a unique team, you know, considering that they are not really built the way most contenders are built. Uh, A lot of their guys were drafted in the second round or undrafted or uh, late in the first round. And uh, Murray's like the only top 10 pick in their regular rotation. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy who's been overlooked coming out of Canada, you know. And so he sort of carries that same kind of chip on his shoulder of being, uh, you know, an underdog. And so I like the scrap and the fight of the Nuggets. And uh, 
I'm hoping that, you know, my disappointment of not seeing this Clippers Lakers series uh, won't be uh, followed by a disappointing series. I'm like, yeah. if y'all beat the Clippers, who we've been waiting to see all year, you better show up and give me something else. Cause, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've been I've been banking on like I want to see Kawhi versus LeBron, man. Like I wanted yeah. to get that. And if if you deny me that, then you better give me a show yourself now. But that's 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 my pressure I'm putting on the Nuggets. Don't don't disappoint after after ruining what we have been hoping to see all year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the question is, do you think they can beat the Lakers as well? No. No. Nah, nah, nah. I think I think this is this is set up for LeBron to go ahead and get that fourth ring. Um, he, he's the man that's, that's really built for um, for this. You know, everything about the bubble seemed to match him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the physical grind of it, the mental grind of it, and uh, even when you add the social justice element to it, um, he seemed to be a guy that this was built. This was made for. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that LeBron wanted to play meant that everybody was going to play in the bubble anyway. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that this is this is his moment. He he knows there's an opportunity there. And um, he's the last guy with, you know, championship credibility that's remaining. You know, nobody else can claim it except for him because um, everybody else is hurt or already eliminated. You know, there's no KD this year. There's no Steph Curry. There's no um, – you know, all the big names, Giannis is, Giannis is the MVP, but he's already gone. You yeah. know, Kawhi, gone. So LeBron's the last man standing. So this is this is his reign to go get. So I don't, I don't see anybody stepping and standing in his way because I think he's looking around. He sees three teams remaining, and it's like, I got the mental edge over every last one of these guys, and I'm going to take it. And I also think if you believe in signs, the passing of Kobe Bryant for the Lakers to win a title this year – you know, it's like a storybook ending that started from something really sad. And I know they'll, you know, obviously would dedicate it to Kobe and Yeah, I, I I'm I cringe at that. I'm sorry. Really? Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I I I've I've I think the one thing about that all that it it it, it kinda hurts. Um yeah. as somebody who covered Kobe his whole career and was really devastated by his loss. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I just he it's not like I mean, he, his his death was a tragedy. It was mm-hmm. unexpected, and I I just I just don't want to. I don't. I really don't like having either one linked. I don't. I don't like having them linked. Mm-hmm. Um, because Kobe's death didn't just touch the Lakers. It yeah. touched everybody. It touched yeah. everybody who plays in the NBA. Uh, Jason Tatum was close to Kobe. I mean, he was inspired by Kobe. I mean, he's somebody who broke down and cried when he found out about it. Um, there's not many people who Kobe didn't touch. Um. And so I feel like putting everything on the Lakers and, and or say giving them credit or saying they're the ones that are playing for him, I think it sort of does a disservice to the impact that Kobe actually had. And I think it does. It sort of it it just it just I don't like I don't like hearing it. I, I, whenever the Lakers say we're doing this for him, I, I or, or for Vanessa and her family, I don't know. It just it sort of makes me cringe. I, I don't I don't like that. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't necessarily want Kobe's legacy to be minimized to just what he did for the Lakers. I mean, he he's he was an NBA ambassador and he touched everybody and everybody has a right to feel um a level of connection to him. Um I don't think anybody has an advantage in terms of saying he's we're doing this for him. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's everybody who was touched by him in any way um can represent in any way. Um so 
uh, yeah. So whenever, whenever I hear and when and when you know if they go ahead and win a championship, and you know all the you know pros is going to come out of it is probably going to mention that. Yeah. And um, I won't, I won't, I won't mention it because mm-hmm. I honestly feel like um, it's just a little crass. Yeah. Because um, Kobe's death is still kind of raw, and you know right now I live in Philadelphia, um, in the neighborhood where he grew up in, you know, um, and so I feel a little bit of connection. In, in that way, you know, um, but I also know that I dealt with him for however long and I, I covered the league and he was around in the league. And um, I can't think of a death that touched me more than that one. So wow. it it just makes me cringe and people kind of connected. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's interesting too, because earlier in the show, uh, in my other interview uh with Haley, we talked about how Naomi Osaka wore his jersey after every match, after every match at the U.S. Yeah. Open. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who whose lives he touched and impacted. And, um, you know, whether you're a basketball player, um, tennis player, uh, football player, um, baseball player, uh, just a journalist, <laughs> you know, in, in, yeah. with any walk of life. You know, um, when you see a guy who's great at his craft and can serve as, a, serve as an inspiration, um, then that, that impacts you. And so, um, yeah, to me, it seems kind of cheap to sort of kind of say, oh, well, we're doing this for him. Um, like, you don't you don't own Kobe, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. Right now, right now, he's with the heavens and he belongs to everybody. Yeah. Um that's very true. Very true. Uh, very good point, Michael. I, I want to take that in consideration when I think of what, how <laughs> I, how I've always thought about them, and and that's definitely true. Uh, let's let's switch gears to all NBA team who who yeah. LeBron James uh, made history, getting his 16th All NBA team in his 17 year career. Uh, any name stand out to you that? made it or didn't make it. And of course I'm gonna to lead to Bradley <laughs> Beal, who we both yeah, go ahead. You can go there. <laughs> are close with and in covering him. Uh what are your thoughts on the all NBA first, second and third teams? Um I think the voters uh for the most part got it right. Um you know I I don't think anybody that was well made a team that you know that wasn't deserving. Um you know when you talk about the top fifteen players in the NBA, I mean there are a lot of good players in the league. You know, um, there probably were 20 players who were deserving of 15 spots. 15 players made it, five didn't, and you know, um, and that's unfortunate. But that's life. And I know Bradley Bill feels slighted because um, he had a phenomenal season. I mean, the numbers he put up were historic. I mean, he had 30 points, six assists, and so he was doing things that hadn't been done. And for him to be denied All NBA. I, I can I can see how it would make him upset and, and bitter, but I think there are a lot of factors that that went into him not making it, and that some things that you know, it's easy to jump on media, it's easy to jump on writers and say, well, they hate me or they don't give me my respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that there are a couple factors involved. One, I think that the NBA is to blame. Mm-hmm. And I say that because how many national television games did the Wizards have last season? Mm-hmm. They had none. Zero. They were not on national TV. So when are you going to watch Bradley Bill play? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if the Wizards weren't one of the best teams in the league and they weren't necessarily 
uh, a league pass, you know, team that you had to watch every night. I mean, they had some fun games. But if you're a writer and you're writing about the Lakers or you're covering, you know, other teams, you know, you're covering that team. And so when you, all you see is the stats, you're like, okay, yeah, he had 50, but they lost. So what is that? To, to, to most voters, that'll be seen as a empty, empty um, game, you know, regardless of, of what, how big the numbers were. And I think that that's sort of what he was up against is that a lot of people didn't see him play. They didn't see what he dealt with in terms of, uh, dealing with double teams and having to overcome all that every night, um, teams just loading up on him because he was the, the pretty much the primary option, the only option some nights. And the challenge that he faced in you know becoming an elite scorer and averaging 30 a game, which is which is rare. But I just think he was just you know a big tree falling in an empty forest. Like yeah. he had these phenomenal numbers, but who was there to see it? Who was there to hear it? I mean, yeah. the people who saw him every day. I'm pretty sure that most Washington people who had a vote or people who watched the Wizards a lot, they probably voted for Brad. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the writers didn't see a lot of Wizards games. And it's yeah. hard to judge. If you look at the, the players who made it, they're either on elite teams or they're on teams that are always on TV. Yeah. And so those names stay in your mind. Um, you know, like Luca made the LNBA first team, right? Yeah. Luca was a sensation and he was on a playoff team. And mm-hmm. so, um, he had that in his favor. He was one of the leading all-star vote-getters. I mean, you know, so Brad's up against a lot in trying to get the attention, but I don't want him to get so lost in, in trying to blame, you know, media members. And, and I, I don't vote, so I don't really – I'm not involved in that, um, mm-hmm. primarily because I don't know if it's fair that we're we're the ones deciding that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I do know that he had a great year, and he should take solace in that and also know that he's an elite player, regardless of what the All-NBA results say. Um, but <laughs> I will say this, if you're going to be that outspoken about it, if you're going to be that angry about it and start calling out the people who voted for it, yeah, go ahead and call out the players who you think you should be replacing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, that's true too. Because it's a hard job to pick the, the 15 best players in the NBA. And if you mm-hmm. feel like you're one of the 15, then tell me who should be 16 so that you get that spot. The only one I and thought of was Simmons. I was like, eh, he probably could I'll be honest with seven. you. I'll be honest with you. Simmons and Westbrook were guys who, um, who, you could, who you could say, yeah, Brad's production and, you know, was better than those guys. Mm-hmm. But Houston is what seed? Yep, yep. Philadelphia is – was a playoff team and they were on TV a lot. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, it's not, it's not a coincidence, you know? Um, I mean, Utah may not have been on TV, but Rudy Gobert already has a reputation as being defensive player of the year. I mean, he, I mean Brad wasn't up against him. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So like you can say some guys who aren't on TV a lot made it, but yeah, but he also was a center and, you know, but when you talk about the guards and you talk about backcourt, I mean, if you're on a winning team, you're in a better position. You know, yeah. if Brad's putting up 30 points a night and they're a four seed and he doesn't make it, then I think you need to start throwing tables and like turning everything <laughs> over and saying, heck no. Yeah. Uh, but if you're, but if you're on a team that's in the lottery, um, you you have to do something that's greater than what he did. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not a fair 
But um, but I just think there's a lot there's a lot that went into it, and it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, these are haters, or they just don't understand the game, or don't know the mm-hmm. game. They know the game. They understand yeah. the game. It's not like there's somebody who made the team that you're like, man, that is so far fetched. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Ben yeah. Simmons was an all star. Like, yeah. it ain't far fetched that he made All NBA. You yeah. know, Russell Westbrook was an all star. It's not far fetched that they were All NBA. Like, if there was somebody random, like, um. You know, if Kyle Kuzma made all NBA, then I'd be like, hold yeah, up, hold up, something's <laughs> off. But the 15 guys who made it, like, they all have valid arguments for being a part of that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody will have a valid argument, as kind of you brought up earlier, that Doc Rivers maybe shouldn't be the coach of the Clippers after them getting eliminated by the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. What's your take on where the Clippers go from here? Or do they – stay where they are. I think the most interesting comment coming out of the post game was uh, playoff P saying that their goal <laughs> this year wasn't necessarily to win the NBA championship. He was the only one talking about that. Uh, that was garbage. I mean, I don't want to jump on Paul for saying that, uh, uh, you know, cause I think that in that moment he was just saying what he felt for him. It wasn't, it, that wasn't what he thought, but everybody else did. And, and I think that, that was his way of sort of accepting that they lost, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the way he rationalized it, but they were built to win a championship this year because they only have one more year guaranteed with Paul and with Kawhi. So they got to get it done next year. But I will say this. Um, it's not often that teams are thrown together and are uh, go out and win a championship in that first year. Um, you can go to LeBron and the Miami heat, they were considered, you know, a championship favorite from the moment they came together. They lost uh, that first year. They wound up winning the second year. Um, what happened with um, LeBron and when he went to my, uh, Cleveland the second time, you know, um, they lost the first year. They won a the second year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's not always as simple as just throwing players together and winning championships. It doesn't happen that way. Um, I think people may have been thrown off by the fact that, you know, Kevin Durant went to Golden State and they immediately became, you know, um, you know, two-time champion. Yeah. It doesn't usually happen that way. And then why going to Toronto for one year and win a championship? I think maybe people think that you just snap your finger and you win a title nowadays. But, mm-hmm. you know, history shows that typically whenever you put new pieces together, it's going to take time. So uh, I think Doc did a, a bad job this year, you know, yeah. and I, I'm not saying that. And, and I never asked for anybody to lose their job, but I think that there are things that he could have done um to help his team his players you know perform better um uh, but i do think that this off season when the clippers go about trying to revamp their roster they're gonna have to find a way of injecting more professionals and more um winners into that locker room you know one of the more um overlooked kind of aspects of that roster is that um Kawhi was the only champion on that team he's the only guy who had participated in a finals game you know, on that roster. So none of those guys, even though they walked around and carried themselves as if they were the champs, none of those guys had ever won anything of significance. And so when you have a team full of guys who don't know what it takes to win, and then you give them this sort of attitude that they have already won, you have an entitlement that eventually catches up with you. And I think that that's what happened with the Nuggets is like they were just relentless and the Clippers just kept thinking they were going to roll over just because they were Clippers, yeah. which is funny because they're the Clippers, which is a 50 year, 50 years <laughs> of failure, you know, um, like, like you don't need to be walking around like you big and bad when you have never, like your franchise has 
never won anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> somebody should have reminded them of that. Like, dude, like y'all need to really humble yourselves because yeah. there is a there's a long history of putrid basketball that you all are trying to overcome and it's not as simple as just saying we got a lot of talent now there's some history here there's been some talented teams and some talented hall of fame players who've made their way through the clippers and have come out feeling like yikes (laughs) that's definitely true and maybe maybe next year doc stays they you know like you said they retool the team and they can get it done the, the next year or we'll at least maybe we'll get to see that lebron versus Kawhi matchup uh um is milwaukee I think letting Malcolm Brogdon go really hurt them this year. What did you see when you saw Milwaukee play and maybe Giannis when he wasn't on the court, the team seemed to play better. Why they couldn't get it done as a number one seed in the East. It was, it was more of a matchup thing. Um, I think Miami was the worst potential uh, matchup for them. It it was, it was not going to be an easy series because they had guys who could, defend Giannis and having Bam out of bio. Um I've got a seven foot six ten guy who can move who was mobile. Uh they 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 formed a wall and basically dared everybody else on the team to beat them and they just weren't up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was sort of just a unique situation. You know, Giannis definitely got to get better. He's got to vers- uh, diversify his game a little bit more uh when he comes back. But um but I, I think that it's just if, if they had played anybody else in the postseason, whether if it was Boston or Toronto or anybody else, I think that they would they would still be playing. Um, mm. But they ran into the absolute worst team that they could face because you got to remember this was a team that was on a seventy win pace at one point, you know, uh, and during the regular season, and they st- they couldn't beat Miami then mm. when they were at the top of their game. Uh, so sometimes you just run into teams that just have your number. And that's what happened in this case. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's, let's talk about Michael Lee for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> what is it like working for the athletic? Um, it's, a, if I may say, a, like a new startup, but the talent pool is all-star. I mean, you, you know, from my other favorite guy, David Aldrich, and you, you know, mm-hmm. reading your articles, uh, what has it been like working for the athletic and covering the NBA versus when you used to cover the Washington Wizards? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's one of the things uh, that attracted me to going there was primarily uh, David Aldridge being there. Uh, you know, he's a guy that that I looked up to. Um, you know, coming up in the industry and you know, seeing him, you know, on ESPN is like their national NBA guy. You know, like for me, I was like, wow, okay. And then when I met him the first time and he's just a guy that, you know, had a lot of integrity in class, you know, that that sort of when he went there, that that gave a stamp of validity to me that this is a place where I, I should go give it a try. Um, and it's been it's been a good experience, um, uh, you know, working with a lot of talented people. Um, Marcus Thompson, you know, he's one of the best writers out there um on any subject or any topic um and there's just there's just so there's so many young young writers um who have a lot going for them like Deshaun Reed who covers the Raiders for us um there's a lot of this is I mean I could go on all day just name dropping people uh about who's good but like you know people like Tim Kawakami again he was somebody that I looked up to you know he used to cover the Lakers when I first started covering the NBA and he just had a way of just you know 
telling that story in a way that just was most mind blowing, you know. Uh, and so we have a chance to work with these these guys and working with this kind of talent. Um, it yeah. sort of pushes you to sort of up your game because yeah. um, you want to make sure that people recognize that you got a little something too. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a, it's been a it's been a cool it's been a cool experience. And I, I always feel like, even though in many ways it's a, like you say it's a competition, right? You know the the, the ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Washington. Well, now you're not with the Washington Post anymore, New York Times. But it's also, for lack of a better word, I'm gonna call it just a fraternity that you're in uh, and, and you work together, protect each other. You're at the same games all of the time. What is it like building that rapport with people who do your job all covering the same sport? Oh, you mean just at the athletic? Um, just man, just in general, just, just a bit of, yeah, outside of the athletic. Oh, you mean, oh, just, just in terms of just covering yeah. the NBA and, and dealing with competition. Oh man, it's, it's, it's great. You know, um, I think that's, that's been for me, one of the best parts about being in this industry is that, you know, you, you talk about the players being competitive and talking about, you know, um, you know, trying to perform and, and do, th- and that's the way it is with coming to writers too, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you are at those finals when you're at the NBA finals or the, or the um, uh, all-star weekend or any of these big time events that everybody's writing about, you know, it always feels good when you come away with that story that nobody else has. And you come yeah. away with that that column idea that nobody else was thinking. Um, you know, that's the type of stuff that that really gets you fired up. And so, I think that um, that is that is that's what pushes you, and it it, it makes sure that you never are resting on your laurels because the minute you do, somebody's going to be kicking your butt, and you won't know what to do because because you, you haven't been really uh, training yourself uh, to be prepared for a fight. Do you think with this pandemic in the bubble that your that it's hurt your ability to connect with players? Where do you see the future of covering the NBA if you're never going to be able to stand next to a locker room necessarily and talk to a player and everything's done over a phone or a Zoom call? Yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen going forward. Um, I, from what I've heard from people who have been in the bubble and have had the opportunity of like going through that experience, um, they found it enjoyable, um, you know, dealing with the players. They found access to be better than what they thought. Mm-hmm. But overall, trying to do things over Zoom and trying to do interviews, um, it's not it's the same. And for me, I've, I've had to find a way of, of finding a different lane uh, different way to cover the NBA during this time. Um, I haven't necessarily been focusing on the game so much. Um, you know, for me, you know, I use this experience to focus on, you know, social justice issues mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a lot of topics the players were discussing, you know, from Breonna Taylor, um, you know, to, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, all that stuff. I wanted to, you know, kind of tell those stories mm-hmm. uh, so that people are aware of, what the players are trying to, what messages are trying to send uh, to fans. And, you know, and so that's sort of what I focused my time, my experience on. So a lot of the things that I've written lately have been about the game, mm-hmm. but leading up to that, um, I, I was more just trying to focus on um, just the issues that the players that matter to them outside yeah. of basketball. And in, in, in covering the NBA, do you feel that the players, I feel like in your writing, yes, you do say that, but just, I guess more elaborate on why it is that the NBA players are at the forefront of social justice, that it seems like other athletes, other teams, other leagues 
take their cues from the NBA and its players? Yeah, I think that's just something that the players sort of feel a responsibility for. Um, they're fortunate enough to be among the 450 elite. They are presented a platform that um, most aren't afforded. And many of the marginalized people who they speak out for don't have their voice that, that people are willing to listen to. Mm-hmm. And so I admire them for sort of stepping up in these situations. Um, I think it's unfair in a lot of ways because players are asked to sort of be politicians or, you know, civil rights leaders or whatever, when they don't, they didn't train to do this. You know, they train, they put their all life and invested it in, you know, putting a ball in a hoop. And so it's, I don't think it's necessarily fair, but I do admire the guys who are willing to step up and sort of take on those challenges. Um, like a guy like a Jalen Brown or Malcolm Brogdon, like you mentioned, um, you know, LeBron, uh, Donovan Mitchell, go on. Uh, about the guys who've been in the bubble and been very outspoken and, you know, been very eloquent and making sure they're getting their message across about what needs to be done to initiate real change in this country. Um, you know, but, you know, it's not something that I necessarily am asking of them or that I think people should demand of them. But I think if they're willing to do it, then we should applaud it uh, because they could very easily just, you know, sit back, count their checks and move on with life. But they're actually saying that, their life had a purpose before they became an NBA and they will when it's done and they want people to see them for who they are as the whole person and not just the one that entertains them. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. It's, you know, I, I feel like in many ways I go back to when Charles Barkley was like, I'm not a role model. And he got a lot of flack for that. And it's like, you may not want to be but in many ways, it's hard for you not to be because so many people look up to you. And well, yeah, in that, in that, in that sense, though, I don't think that everybody is up for it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I don't think we should expect everybody to be up for it. Um, but those who are, I think we should let them be and applaud them because um, that's sort of that's not something that they 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 have to do, but it's mm-hmm. something that they've chosen to do. Um, it shouldn't be the expectation, um, but it should be um, something we applaud if it does happen. Yeah. Now, you graduated from Florida A&M at HBCU. I went to Coppin State. But yep. I graduated from uh, University of Pittsburgh. What do you think the future of HBCUs in sports will be? And I say that on multiple fronts. One, uh, the other school, you know, some people say they are the real HU. Hampton is no longer in uh, <laughs> historically black conference they're in the big south yeah. now um but maker yeah. who's probably not going to play you know made news when he said i'm going to play basketball at howard um do you see uh historically black colleges in the conferences finding a resurgence and getting athletes and, and not just athletes but obviously we're talking sports here to come to their schools and kind of changing the landscape uh i don't know um i think that's a lot to sort of um the uh, I, 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 um, I think is it Macor Maker? I'm not sure how to say his name. Macor Maker. From Macor, Macor Maker. Um, yeah, when I heard that he was coming uh, to Howard, or he just said he was going to Howard, uh, part of me was excited, but the other part of me was sort of sitting back saying, you know, that's good, but let's see, are you actually going to get on the floor and do it? You know, um, because I, as somebody who graduated from HBCU and takes pride in the fact that I attended one, um, I don't think that the schools necessarily need saviors or people who are just going to, um, 
you know, draw attention, you know, to just just for publicity, you know. These are solid institutions, you know. Um, one of the candidates for, you know, vice president of the United States, you know, attended one of these, uh, attended Howard University. So mm-hmm. um, I think that the success that has come from these universities sort of speaks for themselves. Um, as it comes, as it relates to sports, you know, I think it's interesting that there are two NBA players that come from the uh, historically black colleges and Robert Covington and Kylo Quinn. Mm-hmm. And when I was at Florida A&M, we had uh, J- Jerome James who wound up having a, a pretty solid NBA career, I guess. Uh, he made some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, so and, and, our, and a lot of the uh, college football players uh, from FAMU went on to the NFL, like Earl Holmes played for the Steelers. And, uh, and so I think that, you know, black colleges, they're central. Um, they they serve a role that um, you know, and then provide an experience that is unique. Um, and I think that for me, it was just something that I felt like I needed to do because it'll probably be the last time that I would have an opportunity to be in a predominantly black environment and be around people who, um, you know, took a challenge me and. Um, you know, push me uh, and without having to worry about anything is related to race and just sort of just focus on being a person. And so I think that was a good experience for me. Yeah. Uh, what wasn't a good experience for some, uh, you're from Kansas City. The defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs opened their season and they are locking arm in arm with the with the Houston Texans and the and the Kansas City fans boo what was your what tell me more about your the the feelings that came out of you seeing that happen and just fans in the stands period which was surprising um that I'm disappointed that um that equality or asking for equality um you know is something that is considered controversial and I think that the people who are booing really need to um, look in the mirror and try to evaluate what they think this country is about, what they think humanity is about. And um, I think that it's, it, was, it was shameful, um, but I don't think it was unique to Kansas City. I think that it's a, it could be that way anywhere across the country. I mean, I, I knew where I grew up, you know, I experienced racism. Um, I even experienced, you know, being called the N-word at a Chiefs game, you know, wow. but I'm pretty sure that if I had grown up in Buffalo or, you know, anywhere else, I probably would have had the same experience um, because of America, you know, unfortunately um, has never really confronted uh, the issues as it relates to race. And that's why we still have these problems, why we still have protests and marches that are going on, that have been going on for decades. Um, so it was disappointing. Um, you know, I, I could say that, yeah, Kansas City didn't do well, but our country hasn't done well. And I think that um, if the first game of the season had been played in Pittsburgh, they would have booed. Or if it had been played in um, Atlanta, they would have booed. Uh, there's something about the culture of the NFL where um, the fans have sort of been empowered to think that um, Black players speaking up and asking for equality is something that needs to be shut down. Um, because the NFL already proved that by um, blackballing Colin Kaepernick for speaking up, you know, they made it very clear to the fans that we will support you in shutting up these black players. Um, we don't want them speaking out. And if you don't either, then we'll get rid of them. And, and then they'll, they'll know what to do from there. So I think that um, there are a lot of things that went into that. And I could probably talk about that for another hour or so, but yeah. 
Um, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, it's a very heavy topic. I mean, we'll have to have you on again later because I, I would like to explore that more. Um, what I also wanted to explore is, you know, in getting ready for this interview and looking at some of your tweets. Uh, by the way, uh, I love your story about John Wall and him trying to think <laughs> about changing his image and how this one video almost erase so many positive things that he has done for DC as a role model in the community. Did it shock you when you saw it the first time? And was it easy for you to sit down and write that article? Um, it was easy to write it because um, I feel like uh, I was sad. I was sad when it happened. And um and I've known John for since he got drafted. Yeah. And um and I and I I don't want to see him, uh you know looking that way. I don't want to see him. I know I know he is a role model for kids, and I also know that he fought really hard to have a a positive reputation. That I know that a lot of people, um, his distract detractors, mm -hmm. have kind of created mythology to dislike him and to create an image of him that did, that wasn't consistent with the person that I got to know. Yeah. And so when you see a video like that come out, it's really hard to try to defend him because now people say, well, look, well, there's the evidence. Look, he's a bad guy. And, and I think that he can't feed into that and he has to be smarter. And that's sort of why I wrote the column because I wasn't trying to, you know, offer any advice or, you know, any, any lectures or anything. I just didn't want him to lose track of, all that he worked up to earn everything that he got you know he earned his contracts he earned his success he earned his all-star appearances he earned his reputation as being a you know a model citizen you know for dc for the community he can't throw it away by doing silly things and yeah. trivial things that could you know at worst you know put him in harm's way you know and at best just look like he's you know um not serious about you know, being, you know, doing his job. And so yeah. that's, that's kind of why I wrote it. Cause, but I, I want to express the humanity of it because I realized that he's had a very challenging couple of years, you know, yeah. from the injuries yeah. and losing his mom. And, um, and I just don't want him to lose sight of um, what got him here, you know, and, and, and by, and my, and, you know, I don't know what, what he does when he's, you know, in his, in his private signs, but mm -hmm. he has to recognize that whatever he does publicly, um, it resonates with kids and he's got a lot of people who look up to him and some people who are really hurt by that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really unfortunate, especially being a, a new father too. And, you know, it's uh, granted, you know, his kids, you know, not two years old yet, but, you know, just, I know it's been quite a up and down year for him. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, losing his mom and everything, like, like I said, I, I know it's hard. You know, I lost my mom when I was young too, and, or mm -hmm. 25. And, I know the challenges that I face, but um, yeah. but you got you got to rise above it, you know, um, because especially when you're in this position, you have a lot to lose. Yeah, um, you gotta you gotta yeah. think about elevating everybody around you and not letting them bring you down. Yeah, um, one thing that brought me down. Last topic here. Used to love hip hop. How could you used to love hip hop on your Twitter bio? You're not enjoying Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B with the WAP or Offset or Kendrick Lamar. When did this used to love hip hop end? When did you stop loving it? 
uh probably when i turned 30 something really um i still i still like hip-hop i still listen to it but it doesn't it's not what inspires me mm-hmm. it's not what motivates me anymore i mean i used to love it like um i think maybe streaming services probably ruined it because for me you know i was somebody who whenever a cd came out i would be at the record store on tuesday <laughs> yeah, and yeah. i would buy you know two three cds you know and then go home or rip open the package listen to the cd and read the liner notes and figure out who produced it what songs they sample and and really try to get into the, the artist that that um, who was um who i was listening to i wanted to really understand like what went behind the creation of the songs mm-hmm. um i loved the the art that was um on the covers to sort of be inspired by that because i'm also an artist so mm-hmm. When I say I love hip hop, I was really invested in the music and it touched me, it talked to me, um, it it, it uh, motivated me. Um, but the music that's out now doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, primarily because I'm older and I don't have uh, the same sort of issues. And, you know, the music is now made for young people and the things that, that, that are interesting to them are not interesting to me as a husband and a father of two kids. Like, yeah. uh, so I, I still like the music. Um, I'll listen to it on the radio and maybe bob my head, but I don't have this desire to just go listen to everything that's out there. Um, yeah. So and it's I used to love it because I used to love it. Like I was really into it. Mm-hmm. But now it's just something that, you know, just a distraction that, that plays in the background. Who was your favorite rapper or group back in the day? Favorite group is Tribe Called Quest. Favorite rapper is Nas. Um, oh! You know. Yeah, and so I um, I'm I'm all into like the uh, Roots and uh, Outkast and you know um, you know so yeah so th- those are the, the the common you know the people that that I listen to a lot and uh, and so yeah De La Soul you know like those those are the groups that that mean something to me and that were that I used to listen to for inspiration you know uh, you know I listen to you know Wu Tang you know. Just all, all that stuff would get me fired up, pumped up, you know, give me hype, you know. <laughs> when I used to go to the I have to play something to get hype. So I don't need to get hype in. Yeah. You mean you are listening to uh, what was what was Michael Jordan talking about in the last dance? Was he playing Kenny Lattimore oh, or Kenny Lattimore? <laughs> yeah. Nah, I can't I can't I can't say I can get hype off Kenny Lattimore, but that's <laughs> But maybe I should. Maybe, maybe that's why Mike's where he is, and that's why I'm where I am. So. <laughs> we need more Kenny Lattimore in our life. Yeah, Michael. clearly. <laughs> Thank you very much for giving me some of your time. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best with The Athletic, and I'll continue to follow you uh, and read your stories. Uh, love your tweets as well. Uh, always entertaining. Uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. For sure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank the Athletics' Michael Lee and WTOP's Frank Hammerham for coming on the show, and Haley's comments were entertaining as usual. Thank you for listening or watching on the Props Network YouTube page, Twitch, and Facebook. That's right, we're live now. Please share and leave a review if you listen to the pod. You can watch past pods and subscribe. Three, two. You can watch past pods and subscribe for future ones on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora and of course, Apple Podcasts and more. Ciao for now.